Let's get into the word. We are again in Acts chapter 8. The last few weeks, again, we've seen this great persecution that arose against the church. In all of it, we've seen that God is greater than great persecution. And he used that persecution to scatter the church to get the gospel out everywhere they went. And we saw Philip, one of the deacons there, uh, that had been appointed earlier on to help in the distribution of the daily bread to the widows, being led by the Lord to go down to Samaria. And as he went down to Samaria, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw three wonderful things happen. First of all, we saw a revival break out. And then secondly, as Peter and John came and laid hands on those Samaritans, we saw the Holy Spirit poured out. And then lastly, last week, we saw a false convert, Simon the sorcerer, called out. This morning, as we pick it up in the passage, we're going to see the Lord calling Philip away from that revival and into a dangerous desert. He's probably just excited. No revival now, Lord says, I got another plan for you. And amazingly, we're going to see Philip not skipping out on that call, but instead arising and going. In fact, the title of our message is, He Arose and Went. And we're going to see the Lord, as Philip walked in obedience, we're going to see the Lord using him, using this man that God had worked through to start a revival in Samaria, now taking the gospel to an individual who from there would take the gospel to an entire continent. And I think this is one of these pictures where, you know, it's a reminder to us not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge God in all of our ways. Because we're going to see how very easily Peter could have said, listen, I don't think this is of the Lord. Why would God want me to leave this revival and go on the road to Gaza into a desert? And yet, listen, God had a great plan in it. And I'm hoping this morning we get encouragement to say yes when we are called by the Lord. Listen, we all have a general call to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. And then there's going to be times when God puts specific calls upon us. And we're going to talk about the fact that it's easy to come up and make excuses. But the more we do that, the more we'll deafen our ear to the unction of the Holy Spirit. The more we say yes, the more we will get sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And listen, we'll see God work in great ways and manners. Also, as we go through the text, we're going to touch on some different doctrinal issues and so forth as we make it way down here, different nuggets, encouragements, and exhortations. I'm not going to read through the entirety of the text as we get started. Uh, we're just going to take it a few verses at a time and make our way down through the passage this morning. And we start with verse 25, which is kind of a linking verse from where we left off and where we're going. It says, says, so when they testified, and this is speaking of Peter and John, so when they testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And we know from last week's passage that they testified and they preached, first of all, to Simon the sorcerer. Remember, he followed the crowd when they were making profession of faith. He baptized, got baptized as they were being baptized. And then he came to Peter and John and offered them money to receive the gift to be able to lay hands on individuals to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the Holy Spirit of God gave Peter a word of knowledge, a word that he wouldn't know on his own, that this man was a false convert. Because he said, your money perished with you. And we looked at that word perish and saw how it's a reference to the second death. It's a reference to someone not dying or dying without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he got a harsh rebuke from Peter and John. They told him he needed to repent. And sadly, we saw him not repenting, but instead telling them, hey, well, pray for me because I really don't want these things to come upon me that you're talking about. And one thing we need to glean from that, again, as we just go from last week to this week, is that this is something that we are called to do. They expose the darkness of Simon. Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Listen, these guys could have very easily said, we're just getting started with this work. This guy was the top dog in Samaria before we got here. He's loaded Boy, listen, if we just even appease him, 
what great riches we could get from him. And boy, that could really help in building the new building and spreading the gospel and so forth. But instead, they taught and they preached truth to him. They didn't give in to that pressure. And then they exposed, they exposed the, 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 the unrighteousness of his request. Sometimes, listen, testifying and preaching isn't just encouragement. Sometimes it is rebukes. We read in Titus 2.15, it says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then it says, let no one despise you. Because if you're going to correct false doctrine, if you're going to rebuke things that need to be rebuked, not in our authority, but in the authority of the word of God, I can guarantee you there'll be some individuals that will despise you to try to pressure you to not do that. Now, one thing we do need to know with this Listen, if we are ever led by the Lord to bring a rebuke to somebody, if we are led by the Lord to expose a false doctrine or an individual like Simon that clearly the fruit of his life was wicked, we always need to make sure that, and this is so encouraging, so important, that we are doing it in love. We're not doing it to vent steam. We're not doing it to tell somebody off. And we are doing that in hopes to protect others from being led astray and in hopes that that individual would repent. And remember, after they rebuked him, they said, now you need to repent. And they were saying that, again, not out of just chewing this guy out, but wanting to see him repent out of a concern for their soul. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation 3.19, as he's writing the letters to the churches, and he would commend some on some things and then correct some of these churches on other things he says there in revelation three nineteen, as many as i love i rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent and we got to know that preaching the word of god isn't just listen bringing encouragements and things that more tickle our ears sometimes there's rebukes that come with the teaching of the word of god and we got to be able to step back and receive those things and have a heart that would be willing to repent to walk in the life that God has for us. Abundance of life is found when we are obedient to him. Listen, they also no doubt testified and preached the word of the Lord to the new believers there in Samaria. The Lord has given us this mandate and it's still true today. Jesus had said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. He doesn't say go therefore and make simply converts, but go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then notice, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So we got to recognize this and understand this. We have this call on us as individuals. We have this call on us on a church. Not just to, you know what, share the gospel and, you know what, hear people make professions of faith and send them on the way. We want to be individuals that are discipling people. And part of our discipleship program in this church is what we're doing right now. Oh, we need a discipleship program. Listen, we have that first and foremost. When you're going through the Bible, you're going to get taught the things that Jesus said to do and not to do, the things the Word of God says to do and not to do. You're going to learn about God, and that's how disciples are made. With that as well, listen, we have a new believers class that we're finding a date to start. We were about to start that before the germ showed up. And so we're getting ready to start that again. It will be in Sunday morning during one of the classes or during one of the services. So you can go to that and then come to, class or to church too. So keep that in mind if you're in a place where maybe you're a new believer or you want a refresher course. That will hopefully be in the, in the near future out here. And then listen, it says they also preached the gospel in many of the villages of the Samaritans. So they rebuked Simon they built up the new believers, and then they went out and they preached to the lost, the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the way home. And we're called to do the same thing. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now listen, that doesn't include your dogs and your cats, but this is talking about just everywhere you go, with no prejudice, with no bias, there's no partiality with God. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We are called to do that, and they are modeling that. And it should be something, and I'm not going to read the text this morning, but in Romans 10, 14 through 15, 
it talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And it talks about how will he believe unless they hear. And so a preacher needs to be sent. And all of us have the call to do the work of an evangelist. And I would hope all of us would want to be striving to have beautiful feet. Because naturally, just about all our feet, the foot's an ugly, an ugly part of the body for the most part. And listen, if there's opportunity for Jesus to say those are beautiful feet, plus you get the privilege and the joy of sharing the gospel, that sounds like a triple blessing to me. Can we say amen to that today? Now we pick it up here in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise, go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now before we get into, you know what, this call from go to revival to uh, a desert and a dangerous road, we want to stop and consider the fact that an angel of the Lord comes and ministers or speaks to Philip. And consider this in light of scripture. One thing we need to know, a few things we need to know is that angels, listen, the Bible describes them as ministering spirits. In fact, I'll just read it, Hebrews 1.14. This is in context, speaking of angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? Now, let me ask you this morning, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Is Jesus your Lord today? Can you say amen to that? Then this is a scripture for you. The Lord sends forth angels to minister to you. One of the ways they do that, we read in Psalm 91, 11, it says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And I think it's going to be something that when we get to glory and, you know, we see the great jumbotron in the sky and the Lord, you know, it gives us insight to things in our life that we don't know. I think all of us are going to be blown away with how many times these angels of the Lord intervene and moved us around and maybe woke us up. Now listen, I want to share something. It's on my heart to share it. And you can take this and do with it what you want. But last night, um, it was about two o'clock in the morning and I was having a, 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 a very intense dream of an attack of, uh, you know, the demonic and Satan uh, coming against myself, my family, our fellowship. I mean, it was very, very, very intense. And in the middle of that dream, right in the middle of it, I mean, it was heating up. All of a sudden, in our bedroom, and we've never had issue with our smoke detector, the battery's fine in it, it starts going off in, in the room. And I came out of my bed like a, like a cannonball out of a cannon. That's just kind of how I'm wired. I hit something and threw it up, and then immediately, I immediately just began to pray immediately into pray. And then a peace came upon me. And then I didn't sleep for like three or four hours and then fell asleep for 10 minutes and got up and came down here this morning. And when I came down here this morning, the first thing that I'm told is, hey, it looks like someone came in here and tried to light these shade cloths on fire. And if you look right up here, there's a hole. It's very clear. Someone put a lighter to the bottom of it and it went up. No one's been in here. No one's been in here at all. And he immediately, my mind, again, you can take this, leave it. I'm not, you know, trying to get all, uh, you know, what, sensational. Maybe that just happened. I don't know. It doesn't look like it. And immediately what came to my mind is an angel set that thing up last night, and the Lord moved me into a place of prayer. I might be wrong in that. Uh, so, again, take it or leave it. But it's pretty peculiar the timing of all of those things. And listen, I'm not even saying I'm right in it, but one thing I do know is that as this angel came to Philip to minister to him, no doubt there are things like that that definitely happen that we can say 100% that it's the Lord looking out for us and sending his angels to give charge over you. And I think we should take that as a confidence, not in the angels, but our confidence in the Lord. Listen, we don't seek after angels. We don't worship angels. I'm not going to read it, but in Revelation 22, it speaks about John getting revelation from Michael the archangel, and he goes to start to worship him. And he says, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. See that you don't do that. I'm your fellow servant, and what's he telling him to do? To worship God. 
And we should be in a place where we are worshiping God. And even all the more as we're reminded this morning through the text that God has sent angels as ministering spirits to even set guard over us. And I say amen to that. I say thank you, Jesus. And I know at the minimum, listen, that didn't just happen. And we need to be praying for our fellowship because God's doing a great work here. I don't know if you guys notice it, but God's doing a great work in this fellowship right now to his glory. And I know that the enemy wants to, you know what, come against that and oppose that. We, we've always seen that over the years. And so let's be a people of prayer and a people that are daily praying for one another in this work to God's glory and that we could see an impact made in this community for the glory of God. Can we say amen to that this morning? Now, the angel says to arise and go, and, and I already kind of touched on this as we got started. He, he, he tells him, this angel of the Lord, to leave this place of revival, this place now of safety as just so many people are coming to Christ there in Samaria, leave this place and go to a dangerous road. Listen, we read about Gaza today. It's, you know, there's nothing new underneath the sun. This has always been a hostile place. It's where the Philistines were and so forth. You know, leave this place and go on this desert road, this place of desolation with no one around, down to a, you know, a, a, a place of danger. And one thing we need to know with this is, listen, the Lord absolutely is concerned about our comfort. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and one of the Holy Spirit's ministries is to comfort us, but he's also concerned about our character and us really using our gifts and developing them, and one way that he does that is oftentimes stretching us and pushing us out of our comfort zone, and it's wonderful to know when God's pushing me out of my comfort zone that the comforter is going to go with me. And as we just read earlier, Jesus is with me to the end of the age. And listen, we're going to touch on this again as we go deeper into this passage. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, will I say yes, Lord, when he calls me out of my comfort zone? If he calls me, you know, from the lazy boy chair to hit the streets and to go share. A little rhyme for you this morning. Will I trust the Lord? Well, I say, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to obey you, especially if it's something like this that no doubt Philip could have stepped back and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This doesn't sound right. You know, I come down here out of obedience, a revival breaks out, and now the Lord wants me to step away from this and go to a desert and a dangerous road. And he could have found a lot of reasons to say no. He could have said, Lord, send another. But instead, we'll see that he went And I can tell you enough this morning, that's the best place to be, is in God's perfect will for you, even if it is when he's calling you to take a step that looks dangerous to your natural, you know what, uh, intellect. Oftentimes steps of faith are that, but praise God, we can lean on the word of God. Now notice verse 27, I love it, because we read of no hesitation, we read of no back talk, we read of no long discussion with the angel it says that he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his, in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So Philip says, yes, Lord. He arose and he went. And listen, as this unfolds, we're going to see that he wouldn't be disappointed by saying yes to the Lord. And I can guarantee you this, when you say yes to the Lord, there might be some difficulties, some stretching, some trials, some uh, refining fires and so forth. But in the long run, you won't be disappointed. And I'll tell you, even in the course of saying yes to God, it's wonderful to be able to step back and say, yeah, the waves are crashing in. It's difficult right now. It seems the fire is coming in, but oh, it's good to know that I am where God wants me to be. There's great confidence in that. And we'll see this man will go from being a man used to spark a revival to impacting a man who would take the gospel to an entire continent, the continent of Africa. So again, when he says arise and go, we want to say, yes, Lord. I'm going to tell you one of the keys to be able to say yes 
to the Lord when he says, arise and go. And it might just be when you're in the supermarket and there's that person there and the Lord says, you need to go ask them if you can pray for them. Or it might be, you know what, you're, you're off at the gas station and there's someone at that other pump and the Lord says, you need to go and share a gospel tract with them or the gospel with them. We want to say yes to the Lord because it's so easy to find reasons to say no to the Lord. Have you, have you seen that? It's so easy to find reasons to say no to sharing the gospel or no to getting together in prayer, no to, you know, like coming out and being in fellowship. It's just so easy. And yet we get insight into the scripture of what oftentimes is behind that. Oftentimes when we say we, lo- say we love you, Lord, and I'm not questioning that, but then we turn around and say no to the Lord. Oftentimes it's our mindset throughout our day and even in our lives. Look at Romans 8, 5 through 8. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subjected to the law of God, nor can indeed be. So then those who are the flesh cannot please God. And what this is speaking to is our mindset throughout the day. Is our mind on Jesus? Is our mind on the word of God? Is our mind in a place of prayer with the Lord? Are we walking around with a worship song in our heart saying, I want to please God? Or are we in a place where we're like, you know what, I spent two minutes with the Lord with my coffee. And listen, that's a good thing to do, but we don't want to leave Jesus at the dining room table. But we don't want to do that and then just be about, again, our mindset of the things we got to get done. And there's things that got to be to get done, no doubt about it. But we want Jesus to be first in those things. So as I'm getting things done, listen, I'm walking with the Lord in that. As I go down to the lumber store and have to get the list of all the stuff and so forth, and a planned 30-minute trip takes two hours. Anyone ever been there before? That as I'm wandering around this store trying to find stuff, it's not just me, but I'm looking to the Lord in that. So that if the Lord does press on my heart or your heart, hey, go talk to that guy over there. Go share the Lord with him. My mindset isn't, oh, Lord, listen, I got some lumber. I got a job to do, but is yes, Lord, I want to be pleasing to you. And listen, every time you do that, God will bless you on the back end. You'll hit your thumb a lot less with a hammer when you actually get into doing the job. So let's ask the Lord to help us to be a people that have our mindset on the things of the Spirit of God Almighty. And so he arose and he went and he comes upon, again, this man. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's under great authority. Uh, He has great authority under uh, Queen Candace of Ethiopia. Obviously, he's a man of great integrity because he's in charge of her treasury. He's also obviously a proselyte to Judaism. He, he, He believes in the God of heaven He just has not heard about the God of heaven sending his son in the work of the cross. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, and he's reading the word of God because he's a man of authority. So listen, someone else is uh, leading the, you know, the, the chariot there. He's there reading the prophet Isaiah, and that's obviously happening out of a desire to know God more. He's the real deal. Well, notice verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Now listen, we've already saw an angel of the Lord speak to Philip. And now we see God himself, God the Holy Spirit, who is not a force, but is the third person of the Holy Spirit, speaking to Philip and telling him specifically, go near and overtake this chariot. Just so you know, the word overtake there sounds aggressive, like, oh, I'm just going to jump, you know. Uh, Basically, that word in the Greek means go and keep company. I like that. Go and keep company with this guy. Go engage him. Go make company with him. Now, one thing I think we should ask, though, because God speaks to Philip, we should ask the question, how do we know when God is speaking to us? You hear it a lot, oh, the Lord told me. The Lord laid on my heart. We want to be careful with that when we use that verbiage, but we also want to know that absolutely there's times when God will speak to our hearts, God will say things to us. Now, does that mean we're going to hear an audible voice? 
Listen, in all my life and my walk with the Lord, I've heard an audible voice from God like one and a half times. The one time I know that I know that I know that I know that I heard from God audibly, and I'll probably embarrass my wife right here. We had met, we'd been kind of seeing each other for about two or three weeks. Um, I hadn't gone to her home yet, and I went over there, and she just said, listen, I'm warning you, I was raised in the Sai Baba Center. Uh, this is Hindu, they're, they're, I grew up around seances and all these things. She was a full-on believer serving the Lord in Christian ministry. And she said, I want to warn you. I'm like, okay, man, I've seen so much, you know, it's, it ain't no big deal. And I went in this place, and it was a, 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 like a shrine. And I'll tell you, it threw me for a little bit of a loop. And I thought, what the heck's going on in here? And it's not to speak against, you know what, the folks that raise her. We love those folks and pray for them and, you know, pray they come to a personal relationship with Christ. But boy, I was struck when I went in there. And I'm like, oh, I got to get something out of my truck. I was lying. Uh, and I'm like, I got to get, and I walk, I walk in the back and I'm kind of walking around. I'm like, what, what's going on in here? And the Lord spoke to me with an audible voice. He said, she will follow you wherever you go. And I knew that I knew right then that the Lord had brought my wife into my life. Now, I didn't tell her that, you know, that afternoon, the Lord said you're supposed to marry me. That's a creeper move. Don't do that, guys. That's a creeper move. <laughs> but later on, after we were engaged, and, and, you know, I've reminded her of that over the years, and she's like, yeah, I know, you dragged me around everywhere, so. <laughs> Anyhow, listen, that's, that's the rare occasion. And listen, the evidence has proved that, indeed, it was the word of the Lord. Generally, though, the Lord will put an impression on your heart. And we see this throughout Scripture. We read this a few weeks ago in Acts 7. It was speaking of Moses. It says, now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brother and the children of Israel. God pressed on Moses' heart. You need to go visit them. God began to press on his heart. I'm going to deliver them. And he was obedient to that. We read in 1 Corinthians 9.16 where Paul said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. God pressed that on Paul's heart continually. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Another example in 2 Corinthians 8.16, and I think this is one that the Lord often wants to do, and we need to be sensitive to it and say yes to the Lord when he instructs us this way. It says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. I hear this a lot from people. Oh, the Lord put so-and-so on my heart, and I gave them a call, and lo and behold, they were having a rough day and I got opportunity to pray for them, and we had wonderful fellowship. We want to be a people that say yes to the Lord when he impresses things upon our heart. Listen, we also, though, want to make sure that we test our heart. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't want to have coming out of our mouth all the time, I feel when the word of God says what you're feeling is contradicting the word of God. Because when you're feeling something contradictory to the word of God, that's your heart deceiving you. And again, it's deceitful above all things. Also, listen, I won't read it, but in John 13, we read about Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot and it says the devil had put into his heart to betray the Lord. So we need to guard our heart. And when there's impressions on our heart, we want to make sure that we test those to the word of God. I remember years ago, someone came to me and they said, I know the Lord's calling me to be a missionary to the Middle East. And he's told me to divorce my wife and leave my kids to go serve the Lord over there. I'm like, time out, dude. That's not from the Lord. <laughs> That's not from the Lord. You know, let's test this to the scripture. God does not contone those actions. First Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, and first and foremost, that speaks of the prophetic word of God. Test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And how do we test all things? How did the Bereans test Paul? They took the things he said and they compared it with what? The scriptures. Also a great way, 
listening to help guard your heart. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your hearts. A lot of times people cut out the first part of that verse. God will give you the desire of your heart, you know. They leave out, though, delight yourself in the Lord. And delight yourself in the Lord is that call to have a mind that is upon the things of God, where you walk with the Lord. And when you walk with the Lord, the Lord will begin to dictate the desire of your heart. When you push the Lord to the side, I don't care who you are, the desires of your heart will be coming from your flesh and carnal nature. Now, I love this because it says that Philip, when he was told to go overtake, I love verse 30, it says, so he ran to him. He didn't, again, hesitate. He didn't walk. He didn't say, oh, Lord, this guy's of, of high regard. I, I, they might take out a sword and lop off my head if I come with this chariot. But instead, he ran. And again, Lord, help us to do the same. Help us to get up and go when you tell us to go. Because I'm going to tell you, if you start looking for excuses, you're always going to find them. Our flesh is really good. The enemy of our soul, the world is really good at bringing up excuses to get us to not walk in obedience to the Lord. We want to make it our aim to run, and then we want to make it our aim overall to run to the end. And none of us know where the finish line of our life is, but I just thought when I read of Philip running there, I thought of 2 Timothy 4.7 where Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Isn't that beautiful? And again, don't fall in that place of saying, you know what, yeah, one day I'm going to get up and start going. Because I know the finish line is way down there. We don't know where the finish line lies. Heck, Jesus might rapture us out of here this morning. And then there'll be a bunch of holes in this tarp up here and whatnot. What in the world, you know? We don't know where the finish line lies. So if you've been putting the Lord off for a future time, it's time to start saying yes to him now. And I love it. Philip ran near. And it was real simple. He, he, he's reading Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Just a real simple approach. We don't need to get fancy. Just a conversation starter. Do you understand what you're reading? And I love it. Verse 31, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And this speaks volumes about this man. Again, this is a man of high rank and authority. He's the guy who is ahead of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. And yet you can see, you can see God was doing a wonderful work in him and that he had a humble heart. And he had a teachable heart oh lord help us to walk with a humble heart and with a teachable heart james 4 10 humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up and proverbs 12 1 whoever loves instruction loves knowledge listen to this but he who hates correction is stupid and the bible calls some people stupid he said if you hate correction if you hate learning if you're not teachable that's a stupid place and there's a lot of people that boast of being so learned and they are not teachable. And really that's a foolish place to be and not my words. The Holy Spirit says that's a stupid place to be. I, I'm, I'm stupid enough uh, on my own. I don't need to add to that. Lord, give us a, a teachable heart. And then 32 through 33 it says, The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before the shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken from him. And who would declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? This is Isaiah 53, verse 7 through 8. It's written about 700 years before Christ came upon the earth. And if you read that chapter, it is a detailed description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that came about to a T as it was prophesied. It is very powerful. We want to be familiar with this text. Again, it speaks of the Lord not speaking during his unlawful trial. He didn't try to defend himself to these men. Why? Because, listen, he came to lay down his life. That's what was going on. And then notice as well, he laid down his justice. You know, everyone, you know, so much about justice today. And listen, there's unjust things that need to be addressed. We need to, to make an effort to to address that, but Jesus laid down his rights. Listen, what was done to him was wrong, and he could have stopped it at any second. 
He could have called down 12 legions of angels. Even when he said, I am he, they all fell down on their back. But he laid down his rights and he laid down his justice. Why? So that we could be out here in this garden today, we could be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. He laid down his life and he laid down again. Justice was taken from him so that through his death and resurrection and atoning for our sins, when we call on his name, we are justified before Christ. Rejoice in that this morning. Rejoice in it. We were under the law, damned to hell. Christ fulfilled the law when we put our faith in him. Our sins were washed. We are now under the blood. We are under the grace of God, and we are justified. I like how it's been said before. Justification is just as, I, just as if I had not done it. Boy, that's glorious. It's glorious. And again, it says his life was taken from the earth, who would declare his generation? And indeed, his life would be taken. Really, he would lay it down, but praise God, he would take it back up so that us who have been justified through faith in Christ will now declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to this generation. Now, notice 34. So when the eunuch, when the, when the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Listen, this is a great question. This is like a softball being, you know, he's reading a verse about Jesus. Hey, who, this is, who is this about? It's an opening. And Philip sees the opening and he takes it. And I love it, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he told several corny jokes and lame illustrations. And then at the end of it, you know, said, hey, one day I'll talk to you about this guy named Jesus. He's my homie. No, he doesn't do that. Beginning there at that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. You got to understand when we see Peter, John, and Paul, and the apostles preaching to individuals in the New Testament, the New Testament was being written, they preached the Old Testament to them. They took the scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesied about Christ's birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And showed them how Jesus had fulfilled all those things. I have some of those scriptures there for you in your notes. Genesis 3 that starts off with the prophecy that Christ would come and he would crush the serpent's head. More in Isaiah 53 that speaks about him being wounded for our transgressions. And then Psalm 1610 that speaks of his resurrection. And so we open the scriptures to preach Jesus, and we better be doing the same thing. People need to hear the scriptures. Listen, the scriptures, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The simplicity of John three sixteen. do you understand the power of that scripture? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You got the gospel right there. We want to be able to break that down. Listen, we're going to perish in our sins. We're all sinners. But God in his goodness sent his son who lived a sinless life and he died in our place but death couldn't hold him because he was without sin. He rose from the grave. And when you put your trust in him, when you put your faith in him, you receive salvation and now you're no longer subjected to the second death but now you have eternal life with Christ forever. Isn't it not good news? It is such good news. And so he brings the good news. Now, verse 36 says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Listen, faith comes first. We are saved by grace through faith. In fact, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We believe first, and then water baptism is out of obedience. It's an outward proclamation of an inward change that's been said before. It shows that I am, I, my sins, you know, have been, been washed in Christ, and I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Notice how he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Why would he say that? Because just, you know what, days earlier, there was a man named Simon the Sorcerer who was baptized. His heart wasn't right. 
The Holy Spirit gave them a word of knowledge. He was going to perish where he was. He had not put faith in Christ. His heart wasn't right. And I think Philip really knew, if I baptize this guy and he really hasn't put faith in the Lord, this could be a bad thing for him. Because he could leave here thinking, I'm right with God because I've been water baptized, even though he hadn't really put faith in Jesus. And let me tell you this morning, physical H2O will not wash you of your sins. It's only the blood of Christ that will do that when you anchor your faith in him. And so this morning, maybe you heard and you said, I've been baptized, I'm right with God. Well, listen, you're only right with God if you've really put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I've met too many people who said, I've been baptized, and then you share the gospel. They look at you like you have two heads. They don't know what you're talking about. We want to make sure that, again, we bring a gentle correction to that, and we point people to salvation, as the Bible declares it, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Verse 38, it says, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. And this comes from the answer he gave. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amazing. So he says, you know what? Stop the chariot. It must have been a big old procession. Stop the chariot. And they go down to the water. I love it. They go down to the water and he baptized them. And this is because, in part, a guy who was a waiter, who was obedient to go to Samaria with the gospel, now had been obedient to leave a revival to go down to a dangerous desert road and as a result of it this man of high authority who no doubt would take the gospel to the whole continent of Africa has become born again isn't it awesome it's glorious now know this if Philip had said no Lord no doubt God would have sent another and you need to know when you say no Lord God's going to send another and we want to be in a place where we say, you're not going to take my reward. You're not going to take the blessing. And, and I'm not saying that in a, in a selfish way. But listen, the Bible talks about, talks about the Christian walk as a race. And it doesn't say we're to race for a participation. You know what? Ribbon. But notice what it says, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Do you not know those who run in a race all run? But one receives a prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for a prize is temperate in all things. Now they do not attain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And those crowns that you get in glory for your walk with the Lord of obedience. Again, we're saved by grace through faith. We read in Revelation, what do they do with those crowns? The elders take those. And they don't strut around glory and go check out my crown. They don't do that. They take it and they put it at the feet of Jesus and they worship him. Verse 39, we're almost done here. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. This is craziness here. But listen, God who spoke and the world came in existence, this is, this is nothing for him. He baptizes them, they come up and we see like a semi-rapture here. He's caught up and we see that he lands. He's founded in, in Ashdod or Azotus, we read in the next scripture. And I love it. The Ethiopian eunuch, he's not even phased by it. He just goes his way rejoicing in the Lord. It's awesome. He's not like, what in the world happened? He's just like, I'm cruising back home sharing Jesus with people. But listen, we don't want to doubt this account. Because this is truth, as the Holy Spirit moved upon Dr. Luke to write these things. And as we see this, we need to take note, there are several types of raptures like this in the Bible. I think of Enoch, I think of Elijah, Jesus when he ascended to heaven. It's a picture of the rapture. We need to make sure we're not taking light of the rapture of the body of Jesus Christ, because the Bible speaks of it multiple places in great detail. Let's take heed to Luke 21, 34. It says, take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, the cares of this life, and the day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. 
And you might be saying, how do I pray that I'm counted worthy? Does that mean there's so many prayer hours I need to log in heaven? No, it's the prayer of be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. I put my trust in you. That's the only way you're going to be counted worthy to go to glory is through Jesus. Finally, verse 40, but Philip was found in uh, Azotus or Ashdod, Ashdod, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, and I love it. He lands, and what does he do? He just continues preaching the gospel all the way down to Caesarea, and Lord, help us to do the same thing. From our house to the gas station, to the grocery store, to the workplace, to the vacation spot, which I realize right now is your backyard for most of you guys. And listen, wherever we go, one thing that can help you immensely in sharing the gospel is gospel tracts. Little booklets that have the gospel message in them. We have a whole bunch of them in the little foyer between the patio and the big patio. We get thousands of those made. So we, have 10, we probably have about 10,000 in, in, in stock right now We want you guys to take those and have them because, listen, I know it can be intimidating. Listen, at the minimum, though, you can go, hey, look it. Can I give you this little booklet? It's about the Lord. And you'll be amazed at how many people will say, yes, thank you. They absolutely will. And then from there, listen, there's a boldness that comes from that that begins to happen in your heart to maybe next time you go, hey, can I give you this booklet about the Lord? And then you say, have you ever heard about the Lord or the gospel? And you just let the Lord direct the conversation. Keep it simple, man. Bring people back to Jesus, and wherever the conversation goes, that's what they need to hear about Jesus. Can we say amen to that today? Listen, let's stand up and worship the Lord and we, as we close and give him the praise uh, due his name. And I'm going to pray right now, and then we will, we will worship him. So, Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this account, God. Oh, Lord, it is chock full of so much truth. And Lord, we want to take these things to heart, God. We thank you for the scriptures. We just thank you, God, for the assurance of your hand upon us, the hedge protection around us in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be part of the work of the Lord, to be the body of Christ. And we want to be a people that say, yes, Lord, when, Lord, you tell us to go. We want to be discerning as well, God, with the things that get laid upon our hearts. So please give us those things today. And Lord, as you know the hearts of everyone here, Lord, everyone watching online, you know, Lord, those that have really called on your name and those who haven't. And if you're here today and you haven't called upon the name of Jesus, listen, today is the day of salvation. The Lord wants to wash you and cleanse you and be your Lord and your Savior. I'm going to tell you, the Bible makes it real simple. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And what that means is you're yielded to Christ. You're saying, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Not for a five-minute prayer. Be the Lord of my life all my days. I'm turning from the do-as-thou-wilt mindset to say, Jesus, be my Lord. I want to do as you would have me to do. And praise God, listen, he'll begin a work in your life through the work of the Spirit and the Word of God to begin to help you practically in that call on your life. So listen, call on Him if you don't know Him. Ask Him to be your Lord. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Call on His name. He'll meet you where you are right now. Let's close with worship to God. Let's lift our voices to Him as we close.
God bless you folks. I really encourage you to be praying for the second service folks because it's, I'm getting a little toasty up here. And uh, listen, we got a lot of time before the second service, so you're welcome to uh, stay six feet apart and fellowship with one another. Your kids are in the classrooms down there. They'll be uh, brought out and God bless you guys. Have a wonderful uh, day in the Lord and don't forget about the booth back there uh, to your guys' right behind you. God bless you.